a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. I've called it uh, a tale of two servants. Um, a little bit of culture. I can, for me, it can only be a little bit. Shakespeare, Tale of Two Cities, supposed to be a little bit like that. Tale of Two Servants. We're servants of God, aren't we? Paul says, uh, he often introduces himself as a servant of God. Actually, he uses the word slave, but uh, that's usually translated as servant. So what I'm going to do is to look at two people in the New Testament who at different times travelled around with Paul. And uh, we're just given little glimpses here and there, a verse here, a verse there. So I'm going to pick these little verses out. Uh, it won't be like one passage we can nicely read through, but I'll give you the references if anybody uh, is taking notes. And to see how these people lived before God. And, and more importantly, how they started and how they finished. Because for both of them, in different ways, it was quite different. Their beginning was quite different from their end. And, uh, and all the way through this, obviously, I'm going to apply this to us. I just want you to be thinking and just to be very honest about where you are. Uh, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, sometimes when we see characters in Scripture, we think, oh, yeah, I'm a bit like that. Actually, we're tempted to think he's a bit like that or she's a bit like that. But uh, let's just think about ourselves and just be honest before God, because wherever you are, there's grace available for you. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at two characters, one called Demas and one called Mark. And in uh, the small letter at the end of the New Testament called Philemon, uh, in verse 23 and 24, Paul says this when he's writing to Philemon. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So Mark and Demas are amongst a little group of names. Uh, They're described as Paul's fellow workers. And then in Colossians, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he says a similar thing, some little personal greetings in with the fantastic teaching. He says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And jump on to verse 14. And our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas... Send you greetings. So both of these guys seem to be part of a team of Christian workers, uh, supporting Paul in prison where he was at that time and advancing the gospel. And uh, all seems to be going well. You think, great, what, what great company to keep. You know, the, the great Apostle Paul, as, he, as he's usually spoken about, and, and he was an amazing guy. You know, so much of the New Testament is because of his life before God. And, uh, you know, you might be tempted to think, well, you know, if I was working with somebody amazing like that, surely everything would just be going swimmingly and I'd really be going on with God and, and everything would be great, wouldn't it? Well, not necessarily so. How did these two people finish their walk with God? Now, the last we hear of them... Uh, is in one of the other letters to Timothy. Scholars reckon, reckon that was the, the last letter that, that Paul wrote. So we get a little glimpse, I'm not quite sure how much later, but a bit further down the road. How are these two guys doing by the time we get to this stage? They were in this team of Christian workers, really going for it. How are they doing now? Now Demas, first of all. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, 
uh, Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. That's a sad statement, isn't it? Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. You know, we we can only speculate a little bit what he exactly means by that and why this happened. But, you know, maybe maybe Demas found it too difficult doing this pioneering work. You know, you, you read through the book of Acts and it was not all just preaching the gospel and thousands of people falling at feet in repentance. I mean, there were many conversions, but, you know, they had to run for their lives sometimes as well. Maybe found that too hard. Maybe Thessalonica was more comfortable, though actually they had got a lot of opposition there. Maybe he didn't like to be associated with somebody who was in prison. You know, sometimes we can be a bit embarrassed by being with certain people or associated with them. Maybe he just liked the material comforts of being in a a more settled place. Maybe he wanted to do something more respectable in the world's eyes. We don't know. But I wonder if Demas thought about the consequences of his actions, whatever they they were, when he deserted Paul. I wonder, and I don't think he did, (laughs) if he thought about the effect on the work of God in that area. There's there's Paul and Demas and probably some others as well, working away, you know, suddenly a member of the team's gone. That's going to have an effect on things. It's going to have a personal effect that he would have let Paul and other people down. Wonder what it said about his walk with God. Somebody who knows the truth, but still loves the, the, the attractions of the world. I would guess possibly an unhappy and unfulfilled person. But whatever it was about, his life is recorded as being the one who deserted the greatest apostle that the world has ever known because he loved this world. And I think that's sad. (laughs) So he started well. He was in this group with Paul, but he finished badly. What about Mark, the other character that I want to to, to look at? Well, again, in uh, the second letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11, Paul gives another personal instruction. He says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Excellent. So Mark, we find by this later stage in his life, is still doing well. Now, was he always a faithful guy then? Is, is that just the, the nature of the person? He's just that faithful person? Actually, we've got one or two other clues that say it wasn't always that way. So in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 10, Paul says, uh, and he's talking about Mark, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Do you think that's a bit of a strange thing to say? You, you've, you've heard instructions about this guy, so if he comes, make sure you welcome him. Why would they not welcome him? You know, what's, what's going on here? Was there something about Mark that might have caused the people receiving this letter to be a bit suspicious of him? Or to think, well, we need to be a bit careful with this guy? Because Paul says, now make sure you receive him, he's okay. That's, that's what Paul is really saying. So was there something in his past 
that might have made these people doubt Mark's integrity. Now, we can't say for certain that Paul is referring to this specific incident, but Luke records in the book of Acts that Mark, at one time, earlier in his life, was unreliable and had also, for whatever reason, deserted Paul, just as later in life, Demas did. So in Acts chapter 15, in a passage in 36 to 40, it says, Paul did not think it wise to take him, talking about Mark. Why did Paul not think he could take Mark with him? Because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So earlier in life, Mark (laughs) had deserted Paul. Now, we're not told everything about Mark's character. We're not told why he was like that. But I would think at that point in time, Paul would certainly not have said about Mark, oh, he's helpful to me in my ministry. That's what he said about him later. At that point in time, you don't make that sort of comment about somebody who's unreliable and who just scoots off somewhere else. One moment with him serving, preaching the gospel, next moment, gone. You can't work with inconsistency and and unreliability. And actually, you you may know that if you look at that passage in Acts chapter 15, they they had a, a heated discussion, it's sort of described as, between Paul and Barnabas, the two guys who were sort of leading the team. And Barnabas, maybe because Mark was his cousin, you know, you feel that sort of family connection there, Barnabas, uh, for whatever reason, whatever motive, might have been good, maybe not so good. He said, no, I think we should keep Mark. But Paul said, look, guys, this, this guy's let us down. I don't think it's right for him to come out and do this important pioneering work with us. And in fact, the argument was so sharp, you might say, that these two important Christian leaders, Paul and Barnabas, went their own way. And what caused that dissension? An unreliable person. I want to ask you, can people depend on you? Can people rely on you? Whatever you're asked to do, are you faithful to the best of your ability in doing it and seeing it through? If you're not like that, if you're a bit more as as Mark was at that stage in his life, you're limiting your usefulness. It's not to say you're no good, don't hear me wrong. But, you know, if, you're, if, if somebody is thinking, okay, who can help us in whatever it is, the, the work in the church, you think, oh, yeah, but, yeah, you know, when they get into that situation, I don't know if we can give them that amount of responsibility. I don't know if we can give them something that, you know, that's going to stretch them too much. Not because, you, you know, you might not be very gifted at something, but because they think, oh, he's let us down. He doesn't turn up to something. He, he, he forgets to do this. He turns up late and you can't afford to turn up late in this situation. If you're like that, you're putting a cap, a limit on your usefulness to the work of God. And actually, you're causing a bit of a problem to other people around you. It, it's sin, not being faithful. The fruit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. And so if you're exhibiting something which is working against that, actually it is sin. You're affecting other people. You're making it hard for them. Our sin always has an effect on us, our relationship with God, 
and our relationship with others and by implication our work with the church. We must be urgent about getting character flaws sorted out and then moving forward in God. But the good news about Mark is that as we read on his story, the grace of God gives him another chance. The grace of God always gives us another chance, always enables us to change, for our weaknesses to be strengthened and overcome, and for us to be useful to the Lord. As Paul described Mark, praise God, at the end of Mark's, towards the end of Mark's life, he is useful to me. And I think that is a great good news story. Somebody who mucked it up, but somebody who, by the grace of God, was useful to Paul and useful to God by the end of his life. So these two together, they're, they're, they're opposites, if you like, in how they started and how they, they finished. At one time, both were going well, but their progress through life was very different, one from the other. Demas seemed to be a good guy, going well, but he allowed his love for the Lord, so his love for the world, to choke his love for the Lord. He deserted Paul, and in doing so, I think he probably deserted his first love in Jesus. And if he did finish his life in in that state, we don't know if it continued like that right to the end, you know, he would have missed out on perhaps the most precious words that you might ever hear. You know what I would love Jesus to say to me when I stand before him at the end of my life? I would love him to say to me, well done. You have been a good and faithful servant, like you read in the parables there. Wouldn't it be sad for Demas? Wouldn't it be sad for you if Jesus couldn't say that? He wants to be able to say it to you. It would be sad if you missed out on that. But Mark, however, started and ended very differently. Started as a bit of a pain in the neck to Paul, with a reputation for being unreliable but finishes with Paul saying, he's helpful to me in my ministry. At first, he abused the grace of God. Because the grace of God doesn't force you to do things. The grace of God changes your heart, if you let it, so that you want to do things. And he learned his lessons. You know, I really respect somebody who makes mistakes, but learns from their lessons and wants to move on from it. He allowed the grace of God to transform him. So as I've already started to, to do, let's, let's just narrow this down and say, okay, now, how can I learn from this? How can I make sure that I start well and I finish well? Guarding our path as we walk through life. Well, firstly, don't do a Demas. You know, you might look at yourself today and think, yep, that's okay. I'm, I'm really genuinely with a clear conscience. I'm walking with God and I'm growing and I'm, I'm bearing fruit and, and I'm serving in the church you might be serving God's purposes, uh, you know, in good relationship with, with other people, but today's obedience could be tomorrow's complacency. Now, there is no need to fall. No need to fall when you're walking by the power of the Spirit. But I do counsel you to have a realistic assessment of yourselves. A realistic, a realistic assessment of your potential weaknesses that the enemy is always looking for and always wanting to exploit. And just to, to mention from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 
11 and 12. It's talking about uh, looking back into the Old Testament, some of the great stories, and how sadly the people of God were going really well, and then it all went wrong. It says, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, and that's a positive thing. I hope you can say, yeah, I'm standing firm. But nevertheless, Paul still says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And I don't know about you, but I know too many people who have been going really well and have fallen away. And I thought, well, where are they now in God? I was talking to, to Helen yesterday or, or Friday, and, and we, we realised that for both of us, we both became Christians as teenagers, completely separate, separate towns and churches and everything. But for both of us, the, the friend from school who led us to the Lord, not long after that, fell away and was nowhere with God. I just think that's really sad. I mean, it's the grace of God that they witnessed to us and that we got saved. Or sometimes there's some very high-profile Christian leaders in this country, in any country, who are in a position of visibility, uh, responsibility, uh, you know, leading churches, leading movements. And then, how long ago it was? Five years ago, I heard of this, this guy who was uh, in an apostolic role, not dissimilar to Terry Virgo, heading up New Frontiers. And then it had come to light that for years he'd been deceiving people and he'd been having an affair with his secretary. Now that is sad. It is grievous. Imagine in that situation and, and somebody does that. Now that will be so hard to keep going after that, to, to have the same faith and vision. And I don't want any of you, in whatever situation you're in, to have that negative effect on someone else. Whether it be that you're in a position of profile and responsibility, or just that you're a good Joe member of the church, and you do something wrong, and your friends around you thought, oh, I didn't think they'd do that. I looked up to them. Don't do a Demas. Don't do it. <laughs> and a little word of warning when you, because I hope that you're all growing in, in what you do and who you are and in your responsibility. As you uh, get an increased responsibility, you're stronger in God, you're walking better, but take care still, because the greater the responsibility, the greater potentially the crash. And don't you think that Satan, being a crafty enemy, knows this? I mean, he'll try any opportunity to get at you. Any opportunity to trip you up. And he knows your weaknesses maybe better than you do. But don't you think he realises that if you're a leader of a, a group or of a church or, or anything at all, he knows that if you in that role fall, then you'll foul it up for more people. And so I I'm not a scaremongerer. I'm not the sort of person who sees a demon under every bed. But the Bible says we need to be careful. Don't ever say, oh, I couldn't do that. That couldn't be me. No one who falls away or gets distracted by the world 
plans to do that. <laughs> they didn't do it, did they? It just, just happened one step. Get used to that one step. I'm still here. Maybe I can take another step. But scripture and the contrary encourages us to keep encouraging one another. Praying for one another for protection. Praying for one another to keep going for it. To be honest with one another. One of the things that we look at in our membership course, you may do the same, is the, the one another phrases in the New Testament. Don't leave it to Graham and the other leaders. Let's, part of loving one another is saying, are you okay with this? Uh, you, you know, are, are you fine? I wasn't so sure about, about that. You don't know what reaction you're going to get, but please, please, look after one another. If you're going forwards, you know, funnily enough, you can't be going backwards at the same time. Have you ever tried to go forwards and backwards at the same time? It, it doesn't work. So just make sure that you're going forwards together, and then, in my simple little logic, you can't be going backwards. <laughs> so don't do a Demas. Don't fall away. Don't think everything's okay and get complacent. But on the other hand, also, don't be a Mark the Mouse, as he was in the early stages of his life. And, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, think about where you're at at the moment. Uh, you know, let's be honest, maybe some of you are a bit all over the place, for whatever reason. You don't need to have a work-in-progress sign around your neck because uh, it's obvious to everybody who knows you and meets you uh, that uh, you're inconsistent and unreliable. Maybe you're a bit lazy. Maybe you shy away from responsibility. Men, particular failing of men, you know, in our modern society, don't shy away from responsibility. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to take responsibility. You may need to make tough decisions. You need to get good counsel and go for it. Whatever it is in your character, and let's face it, we've all got character weaknesses. We've all got stuff that needs sorting out. Whatever it is, actually, what is it? It's a greater opportunity for the transforming work of grace. A greater opportunity to say, wow, I was like this, but look at what God has done in my life. Look how uh, he, he can use me now, which I, he just couldn't have done in the past. This is the good news of the gospel. The Lord wants you to change. You know, when he saves you, he didn't say, did he? Well, come on, you know, get your life a bit sorted first and then I'll save you. No, grace means I'm coming to you right where you are, just where you are. I know just what you like and I'm not put off by it. <laughs> and you know, once you're in the kingdom of God, nothing changes in that respect. He still comes to you just as you are. And he still says, I know what you like, and I'm still not put off by it, and I still want to change you, and I'm still able to change you. The transforming power of grace. As you cooperate with Jesus, you too can be useful to him. And in that letter that we've looked at to Timothy, Paul gives Timothy, and likewise to us, that same encouragement. Chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, he gives this analogy. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for noble purposes, some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, in other words, from uh, ignoble things, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy 
useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. There's that phrase again, useful. Paul had said, he's useful to me, but ultimately, the Lord wants you to be useful to him. And it's saying, okay, at the moment, moment, you might think I'm just some funny old clay pot, which is just used for urine. Because that's what they did with some of the pots, okay? I don't mean to be offensive by saying that. But you know, some people really underrate themselves and really put themselves down. But Paul says, whatever you were, if you allow grace to transform you, if you cleanse yourself, you see there's a corporation there, is your will, cleanse yourself, but it's the transforming power of God. You might have been anything rubbish like that, but you can be articles of gold and silver that the king puts in the most special place. That's what he's saying by that picture. Let me give you one little example. Well, actually, I think I'm an example. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, if there's things to have been mucked up, I've mucked them up. If there's things to do wrong, I've done them wrong. I tell you, I mean, I just make mistakes. I've made mistakes and will probably continue to make mistakes at every turn. How can I be standing here? It's got to be the grace of God. I know it's not me. Let me give you one other little example. Helen and I, in our younger years, before we moved to Bolton, lived uh, in Crawley in Sussex. And um, we ran the, the teens group, and there's some great characters in there. There's some difficult characters in there as well. And there was one young lady uh, who was in her sort of mid-teens called Beth. And uh, she, you know, one meeting she could be brilliant, praising God, singing out. She had, a, she had a beautiful voice. And then the next week, she'd come along and she'd be stroppy and difficult. Any, any of you know teenagers like that? <laughs> And you know who she is now? A lady called Beth Redman, married, married to the musician Matt Redman. And uh, oh, she's a fantastic girl. And she had actually all sorts of things going on in her family life that we didn't know about until a little bit later. But if at that point in time, I could have looked at the youth group and said, oh, you know, who do you think is really going to make it in the sense of somebody growing to a higher profile and a higher position of responsibility? She would have been pretty near the bottom of my list. <laughs> but look at what the grace of God has done for her. Do you underestimate the grace of God? Don't you know that the grace of God can do anything in you? Anything through you. We're the only ones who put limits on it. The only ones who try and cap it. Let's just finish off by looking a little bit of what Paul said about his life in that, that letter, the, the last one that he wrote. 2 Timothy chapter 4, just before he makes his comments about Mark and Demas, in uh, verses 6 and 8 he says this. He's, he's, he knows he's coming towards the end of his life. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. And then he, he assesses his life. He reflects back. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Let's quickly look at these three phrases. Fight the fight, finish the race, receive the prize. If you want an easy life, you will not significantly change from how you are now. You need to be prepared to stand up and to fight for what is important. 
And though we've got the power of the Spirit, the bad news, in a sense, is that the battle, the fight, keeps going to the very end. Now, you think of uh, one of the many action films that there are out and about these, these days. You know, you've got your hero and you've got your enemies, the baddies and the goodies. And, uh, you know, inevitably, in one of these films, sooner or later, there's a big fight. And, uh, you know, the hero's here with his sword or, or whatever it is, and, uh, and the enemies jump out and, and surprise him. But he's up to it. He's, he's out there, and, uh, and he's fighting him off. And he, and he knocks the first one down. Now, does he then say, oh, that's all right. I've done that now. I've knocked the first one down. And, uh, you know, put, put it away. No! There's another one waiting to jump out at him. And so he fights this one, and he fights that one. And, uh, and then, of course, it's all quiet. There's a little lull. You can't see any. And then suddenly, again, somebody jumps out from behind something. And he has to be up, ready to fight again. That's your life in Christ. <laughs> There's always, potentially, another baddie to jump out at you. You've got to fight the fight to the last day that you breathe your breath on this earth. But you can fight and you can keep going. Paul then uses the second picture about finishing the race. It's easy to start a race well. I can start a 100 metres race. I could start a mountain race and look pretty good for about the first five yards. That shows my age. I say yards rather than metres, don't I, for start. <laughs> but you need to keep on track. You know, a good athlete does so much training and discipline, doesn't he? You know, the, all the stuff behind the, scenes, behind the scenes that other people are not aware of. They eat the right foods. They, they sleep at the right time. You know, they, they have the right regime so that, that when things really matter, they can do the stuff. And that's like the Christian life. If you think you can just turn up to something and everything will just be hunky-dory, think again. You need to be in the right training regime. You need to be in the right discipline. Uh, we, there was a, about three or so years ago, we've got a Brazilian family in, in our church and um, there's this lad who, uh, also Brazilian, who's been adopted by them. I think he's the, the nephew of the, of the mother. Complicated, difficult background. And uh, it was been quite difficult trying to arrange uh, visas for him to actually stay long-term in the country. And uh, he's part of our youth group, and I'm not sure who had the idea, but somebody had the idea, like, well, let's do some fundraising, because uh, it was quite expensive to go through this, this visa process, and the family not, not, not very well off. Great idea. So all the teenagers were up for it. You know, like sometimes you get this race for life, like uh, it's for, for cancer, isn't it? And so they said, right, we'll do a race for Eddie. And so on Sunday morning, uh, we, we had the meeting a little bit shorter. And uh, so we sent these guys off and they were going to go around a three-mile route or something. And we all sponsored them and we had a bit of lunch together afterwards. Well, this guy, Eddie, is quite a character. If you met anybody from Brazil, they're great characters, okay? <laughs> So, you know, we said, right, you know, ready, steady, go. And it wasn't actually a race, but, you know, it was just, just making it round. He shoots off like a, like a rabbit. And then what we didn't realise is that it's about 30 seconds later, because uh, the, the first part of the route was going up a hill, he said, oh, 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 I've had enough now, I've had enough. And just like I virtually had to walk the whole of the rest of the way around, around this track. So he was very good at starting, but he wasn't so good at keeping going all the way through. And the Christian life is much more like a marathon than a sprint. But Paul could say, I fought the fight, 
I ran the race. And he wants you to be able to say that. And just as Paul said, we can say, and I am looking forward to receiving the prize. In those days, it was a crown. These days, it would be a medal or a trophy if it was using modern uh, imagery. And, of course, you've got to realise that the significance of winning like, something like a gold uh, medal in the Olympics, it's, it's not the actual piece of metal. You know, the, the athlete who's won a gold medal uh, doesn't take it to the pawnbrokers and say, what will you give me for that? You know, it doesn't work like that, does it? It's the recognition of your achievement. It's what that medal represents. It's the pleasure that that brings, the honour that that brings. And can you think of anything more rewarding or satisfying or exhilarating than hearing Jesus say to you, well done. You have been a good and faithful servant. Now, come and enter the place that I have been getting ready for you. That is our crown. That is our trophy. That is the honour that Jesus amazingly wants to give to us. How how do we we get that crown? By the grace of God. But he still wants to honour us. He still wants to thank us. He still wants to reward us, even though it was all from him in the first place. You know, the grace of God just knows no limits. So, for you, don't do a Demas. Don't be a a mouse-like Mark. You be more like Paul. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called so that you hear those words when you stand before Jesus. Well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. And uh, I I just... um, Graham will finish off for us now, but I'd just like to give the opportunity, if anybody wants uh, to be prayed for at the end, just for some encouragement. You know, it's not necessarily because you think you're doing badly, but, you know, you, you just want... A fresh dose, a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit to, uh, to keep running the race. Then I'll hang around at the frontier and myself and, and others will be very glad to pray for you to have that Holy Spirit energy to keep running and to keep going.